Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites No More Risk Better podcast. My name is Winnie Caesar. I'm the Global Head of Strategy at Credit Sites. And today I'm going to be chatting with Todd Duvik. Again, if you've listened to our auto segment, we had a great discussion about the auto sector, some of the very interesting shifting tides in terms of is it cyclical? Is it not cyclical? What are inventories going to look like? So I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that one. Todd is a senior analyst also covering industrial products. And today we're going to be shifting our focus to talk about industrial products, focusing on investment grade companies. Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. Good to be here, Wayne. Thank you. All right. So here we go again. You've already done this once. I hope you have a different answer, but we're going to do the economic data sneak peek question. We're already a quarter into the year. What are you looking for for a sneak peek of economic credit market or sector specific data for this year? Sure. So I do have a different answer. And for industrial products, these are global companies that their sales and revenue is largely correlated with global GDP. And so that's really what I would like to see is where is global GDP going to shake out this year in terms of growth as well as next year? because, of course, calls for a recession are all over the board, both in the U.S. as well as globally. And then you've got situations where you've got Europe, which is still kind of under some challenges in terms of their growth and how things are looking there, while at the same time, you've got China reopening. And that's looking better on many fronts, although the real estate industry is not looking great. And that is one of the areas that really can affect some of the industrial products companies. So, you know, global GDP growth is a big thing and then kind of a regional breakdown within that. That is a great answer. I appreciate first that you came with a different answer than for your autos segment. Also, I think that global GDP growth is something that we're all focused on. You know, we have had this massive increase in expectations for a recession, especially in the U.S., with now the market cutting it, pricing in some pretty significant Fed rate cuts. And at the same time, when I look at the Atlanta Fed's GDP now data, which has kind of Q1 expectations, it's showing a 3.2% GDP number for Q1, which feels you know pretty buoyant, not particularly recessionary, but there are so many moving pieces that it's very hard to make sense of everything. So with that, how are you thinking about positioning in industrial products? What's your recommendation on the sector right now? And what has left you with that recommendation? 
Sure. So <clears throat> just to kind of paint the backdrop, we had come into the year with an underperform recommendation on the sector, and the underperform was premised on the idea that global GDP growth is slowing. <clears throat> and we thought that was going to correlate with slowing new order growth. And sure enough, that's what we're seeing is slowing new order growth. However, <clears throat> we think that most of the companies in the sector are going to be sheltered from the impact of the new order growth by a huge order backlog, which in many cases typically is just 90 days, but now it's grown to three quarters or in some cases longer than a year. So we do think we're going to have these two trends that are going to play out. But what that means in terms of revenue and profitability is we think that their revenue and profitability is going to be fairly resilient for most of the players in this industry in 2023. Beyond that, it's anybody's guess. And this goes back to what we started with is what is global GDP growth going to look like the back half of this year and going into 2024? But for now, we're fairly sanguine with the outlook for these companies, and that's why we have a market reform recommendation on the sector. That's really interesting. Is that backlog due to supply chain? What was the big driver yes. of that extension? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. So with supply chain, you know, they could not, similar to the auto industry, they couldn't get sufficient quantities of semiconductors, which is important for things like Caterpillar and Deere making these large machines. But also, they couldn't get other components. Logistics were challenging. And for the most part, they had demand that rebounded by the fall of 2020 after the shutdown of the pandemic's early days. So demand rebounded, but their ability to fulfill that demand was significantly challenged. And it's just now really starting to correct itself. So they continue to have this large backlog of orders that they weren't able to fulfill in 2020, 2021, and 2022. So do we risk having this kind of fundamental mismatch where if there is a deceleration in demand in global GDP, if you will, and finally we're clearing through that backlog, how are your companies kind of positioned to deal with that? Is that a big risk of just oversupply and overcapacity all of a sudden coming online? Or do you feel like they're a bit more insulated? You know, I think they're a bit more insulated. One of the things that they've done is they have really managed their inventory tightly. In certain cases, they've actually shut down the order books. And, you know, Deere and CNH, two agricultural machinery companies, have shut down the order books because their order backlog was just getting to ridiculous levels. They wouldn't be able to fill not only this year, but going into the next year. And so I think that in terms of the risk for demand falling off, there is going to be some demand fall off, but they've really managed the inventory tightly. And most of the order backlogs, they've got fairly good visibility into those orders, um, maintaining those orders not being taken away. I think 85% to 90% for most of these companies, they say they expect those orders to be revenue within the next year. That is super helpful. I mean, I find it fascinating that a company would willingly turn down or you know, shut down the order book. That seems like a very kind of contrarian move, but also probably a prudent one, just given some of the outsized pressures and different issues that we've seen in the supply chain and in the economy. So far, what I'm hearing 
is not necessarily indicating to me that we're going to see a big burst in new issue supply in industrial products. How are you thinking about primary market activity this year? Yeah, so great question. Within industrial products, we've got some companies that are similar to autos in, in the sense that they also have their captive finance arm. So think about Caterpillar, Deer. You've also got CNH Industrial. So they make large machinery. And those are going to be regular issuers either every quarter or every other quarter. And we've already seen them in the market twice, both in the case of Cat and Deer for their captive finance subsidiary. So they're going to continue to be in the market. But in terms of the industrial parts of those businesses, as well as other businesses, we really don't see, expect to see a lot of issuance this year, primarily because we think they're going to just refinance maturing debt as it comes due because of the higher interest rates. And for the most part, we don't expect to see any debt finance share buybacks. We just think that that's cost prohibitive. Well, as credit investors, we like to hear no debt finance share buybacks. That feels like a nice change. One of one of the few positives coming from this higher interest rate environment is management teams actually focusing on using debt capital in a way that's not as detrimental to bondholders, which we that's appreciate. Right. So what keeps you up at night? So, so far, this is a, a pretty kind of sanguine outlook, not a lot of big risks lurking in the background. What does keep you up at night about your sector and, and the recommendation? Yeah, so I guess two things. One is we've been bullish on companies, as I mentioned already, John Deere, as well as CNH Industrial, which also is largely an agricultural mis- machinery company. And we think that that's supported by strong demand for agricultural products. You've got elevated agricultural commodity prices, strong farm income. Everything looks great now. But what I know about this industry is we're always one bumper crop away from declining agricultural prices. So that's really kind of what keeps me up at night is having to monitor that, which is just part of looking at that industry. You know, we expect to see increased plantings this year. And if we have a bumper crop, we could see pretty rapid deterioration in uh, commodity prices, which would then equate to probably lower demand for their products in 2024. The one thing that is kind of supportive of longer term uh, elevated agricultural commodity prices, however, is the fact that Putin and his situation in Ukraine, Ukraine historically used to be a very large agricultural supplier of commodities. And as that country continues to be in unrest, you know, that's probably taking one of the larger commodity producers and not taking them out of the production of agricultural products, but it's reducing their ability to supply products at the same level. So, you know, there are lots of puts and takes, but still, you know, the ag cycle is something that is boom and bust over time. And it's just a matter of when. The other thing is just as I started off with just keeping an eye out for a potential global recession, uh, because if we have a global recession, then we're going to have even further slowing in order demand. And especially heading into 2024, when I suspect that the order backlog is going to be significantly lower than it is today. So they're not going to have as much cover heading into 2024. If that's the situation, 
that I can see heading into 2024, potentially as soon as the back half of this year, having a much more cautious view on the sector. So it's almost as if some of these calls are kind of an inflation hedge because those those companies do better if you have elevated food commodity prices, kind of the agricultural cycle still effectively booming, which is, you know, a little bit counterintuitive. You don't want to necessarily be wanting to root for inflation in the in the corporate bond market, but there are places where we are seeing actual benefits. And I think that's important to keep in mind for right. sure. So you've talked a little bit about top picks, John Deere, CNH, other trades you want to talk about, top pans, some carry trades, anything else that you think investors should be having on their radar? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I would say John Deere and CNH are top picks. CNH is triple B rated. So you're getting a lot more spread with them relative to Deere. However, there is a lot, lot less investable paper with CNH. So one of the other names that I like as a top pick is Parker Hannifin, which is a diversified industrial products. They're actually in, so they did a large acquisition of an aerospace and defense supplier last year, Megat. So their leverage is now north of three times. Typically they're in the two and a half to two times range. They're in deleveraging mode. And so that's important, but also, you know, what the Megat acquisition did for them is it really gave them a much longer cycle business in aerospace and defense than some of their traditional businesses. So it helps to kind of protect them from potential downside of a recession with that portion of their business, which accounts for about 30% of their business now on a pro forma basis. So we like Parker Hannifin, names that we are more cautious on and or don't like. We just initiated on 3M earlier, 3M is historically a bellwether, A-rated credit has been A-rated or higher going back to the 1970s. However, they've got some legacy businesses that are really under pressure from environmental concerns as well as legal concerns. So one is combat earplugs, which we think is going to be resolved in the near term. They've reserved a billion dollars for that situation. Moody's said that came out with a report just earlier this month and said they think it's going to be significantly higher than that. So that's one situation. The other is called the forever chemicals. And so with that name, you know, it's not going to be good. So that's a big environmental concern. And, you know, we think that situation could be much, much bigger from a dollar standpoint, and it's got a much longer tail. It's going to probably play out over a period of years, if not decades. So that's a name that we're cautious on. Another name, primarily from a relative value standpoint, we don't see any ratings risk, but it's Caterpillar. So typically you, you compare them to Deer, they're the same rating. Um, we just think that with their exposure, especially to the residential construction industry, commercial construction is going well, but residential construction has really fallen off. And so we think that portion of their business, you know, is going to be weak in the near term. And so that's why we're more cautious on them plus they trade so tight. The one area that I would say as kind of a blanket carry trade, three names in the HVAC business. So think heating and cooling. They also have a commercial refrigerant business, but three HVAC players are Train Technologies, Carrier, and Johnson Controls. So all triple B rated. So you're getting a little more spread and yield on their bonds. 
And we think that, you know, all three of them are performing well. They're the three largest global players. They're well diversified geographically, and they're also focused even more so on the commercial business as opposed to the residential. So, you know, we like that portion of our business as well. That's interesting, the kind of alignment to commercial over residential. I know that commercial real estate has been a topic that has come up a lot with the banking fallout and kind of exposure to commercial real estate. So it's interesting to hear, I'm assuming from your management teams, that they're still fairly constructive on that segment of the economy. I think that that should hopefully give some assurance to investors who have been seeing a lot of the headlines and kind of the doom and gloom around commercial real estate. All right, let's wrap it up with some words of wisdom from Todd Dubik. You've been an analyst for a long time. If you were going to give some advice to management teams to muddle through this year, what would you be telling them? <laughs> well, just focus on efficiency. I think that you know these are businesses that generate a lot of cash flow for the most part free cash flow. They've got a lot of focus on shareholder returns. And I think that this is an opportunity that they have where they're generating a, a lot of free cash flow, even in what could normally be kind of a struggling time. But to several of these companies that I just mentioned, they have a policy of returning all their free cash flow to shareholders over time. And, you know, it makes sense for the most part, but I just think that uh, this is a business that is global and there are perpetually going to be competitors coming at them from emerging markets. And I think they just need to make sure that they are as efficient as possible because with the rise in labor costs and other costs, regulatory costs, they just have inflation that they need to deal with. And being as efficient as possible is the only way that I think that these companies are going to survive long term. It's pretty much also the only way that I'm going to survive long-term as a working mom and global head of strategy. So I too will take the words around efficiency and focus on efficiency to heart for this year. I'll let you know at the end of the year if it's actually done me any good. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much, Todd, for joining and chatting about industrial products. If anyone has any follow-up questions for me or Todd, feel free to reach out to us directly. You can always use that Ask an Analyst feature on the Credit Sites website. Todd, I'll let you get back to the rest of your day. Thanks so much for chatting. Okay. Have, have a good day. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.